Is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name's Nathan. And I'm Bob, not in Tibet. Today, we're reviewing The Ashen Thief, a Dark Ages supplement. Welcome to the podcast. We're going to go ahead and we're going to skip Q&A session today because we don't got any. How do you like that? I didn't well, look. Maybe we do, unless Bob has a Q&A, and then I'll eat my words. I, I do not have a Q&A. No one, no one has asked me stuff that didn't nope. pertain to how to build a Sabat pack. Yep, that's fair. That's fair. Um, maybe we could talk about that on a Nerd Words or something. On a Nerd Words. I'd be down for that. All so right. today, um, what is the Ashen Thief? What, what are we re- reviewing? So what the Ashen Thief is, it's a Dark Ages source book, keeping in the theme of basically giving everybody a history education about the medieval world, enough to kind of create that immersion into what you're playing in. And there is some misconceptions, right? And yeah. uh, this book is to clear up those misconceptions and to give you just enough history to still keep the game interesting for you, but maybe still to feel medieval. Yeah. Now, um, one thing that I can say is the cover of this book I really like. I I love the the art and the detail on this this uh, picture, and uh, that is not a theme that I'll find carried into the book. Actually, um, off the uh, bat, off the bat. Um, actually, so the first piece of artwork inside here, um, I think, is pretty cool. Um, although I don't know, there's just something about it that's a little extreme in my mind, but. Either way, I, I like that first picture. Um, but the book opens with this long, involved piece of fiction, basically, is, is the way that I'll put it. Um, to give some insight, it seems to be a piece of fiction that changes perspective from one character to another um, multiple times, basically following the journey of um, an item or something like that. We'll let you read the fiction for yourself because this book does something very interesting in that it doesn't stop with the introduction. Well, what is, what is cool about the intro is that it'll give you insights into a vampire's physiology. Yeah. Going through, um, extremes. Right. Like the, the picture shows him dangling from an edge and what that, and he goes through in his monologuing, um, what it, what it might feel like as he's going through it. You know, right. what would have happened. And that part was, was good. It's even cool to, to read about the fiend in it that he's going after. He's in here to kill the fiend. So FYI. Right. And, and read that story, how it ends up. I won't ruin it for folks, but it, it was worthwhile. Right. Um, but as I was saying, um, it kind of um, continues through this journey of, of fiction. And um, the fiction, I think, is really good. However, I did notice something right away. And uh, I'd love for you to counter me if you notice something different. Definitely gave me the impression with all of the fiction that was in here because we start to get to like, I think it's page 18 before it really starts to give you like the, it, it breaks the narrative and starts actually describing the things in the book outside of a story. And to me, I got the impression of maybe there was a little filler um, being put in here. It definitely seemed well, to me that the fiction was a little extravagant. Well, they do the typical, right? Like how to use this book and what it's going to be and what you can expect chapter by chapter yeah. right around page 11. Right. And uh, that's that's cool. I agree with you if if we're, I think we're saying the same thing here, um, that right when you get done with the fiction, 
in the next chapter, it starts getting into it. But at the same time, it's like, what was all that about? Right. Right. Like, okay, they got that. And that's, that's more immersion, I suppose. But, you know, it's just a weird choice. Yeah. That's how I took it. Like most, most of these books are built where it's like, here's what's in the book. Now you already read the chapter or the fiction opens it. Here's what's in this book. You know, like we wet your whistle. Here's the contents. Let's get to the contents. Right. And then, but in this book, they, they don't do that. They give you more fiction. <laughs> right. And they, right. They, they give you this story of like a ring, right? Like, uh, almost like a, um, uh, like a story of, of how this passed through the many number of hands and, and, um, from thief to charlatan to trickster to kind of set the stage for what I assumed the majority of this book was to be about. Um, the legality of the land of the time, right? Yeah, I mean, it does, but I mean, we got to... Here, here's some things that I, I agree with that I think are challenging with the writer and, and stuff we've heard from people too. It's, this isn't a history podcast. It's right. not what we're trying to do. And for us to tell you the differences, all the indifferences in, in crime and the fact there isn't an underworld in the medieval era because there just isn't, they just they just got a hold of the idea of having... Uh, um, enough of authority to have uh, sheriffs and uh, what have you uh, kind of kind of keep a hold of the land. You know what I mean? Right. Like they defend it, but it's not like they're, there's no militia. Right. right. There's no one up here to say, oh, man, that, that street urchin stole that apple after him. Right. Not mm-hmm. really. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's it's really not the case. It's not to say that if you're in the in a different place, like in front of uh, the king's castle and one of the king's guards sees you steal something off the royal table that you're not going to be chased. You most definitely are. Right. It's, it's just the outline. And for the common layman, that's for us. That's the, you don't look for it. You really don't have that. Right. They, they, uh, in this first chapter here, I think they do a really good job of giving you an abridged sort of overview of what laws in the medieval world of darkness are and the difference between canon law and secular law, right? Law of the church and law of like the king or the prevailing authority in the land. Um, the thing about it is, it's like Bob said, basically there's only so much you can talk about that, right? People today don't have a firm grasp of what laws actually are, let alone in the dark ages. And not to say the author didn't have a good idea, just the general public doesn't know all the intricate details of the law. So I think, go ahead. And and, then, no, I was just going to, I was making that, uh, that point, but you were finishing. Yeah, basically, uh, I was just going to say that, you know, it gives you um, a pretty good idea that's that's easily consumed to give you as a storyteller or a player to have a a pretty decent idea without miring you in details, without weighing you down in minutia. What I enjoyed about it is that if you're in the modern and you're used to now, like 2019, you're dealing with cameras and smartphones and second masquerades and what have you, depending on your game. Even if you're playing in, in uh, V20 update, you still are dealing with smartphones and, and stoplight cameras and you know FBI and whatever nonsense. And this book makes no bones about it. If you think that there is a semblance of that at all anywhere in the medieval times, well, here's this update or not update insight to let you know no, not at all. Right. And never more seen than when I was talking about the fact that you would have had a sheriff and maybe a few bailiffs or whatever uh, kicking rocks around trying to keep the peace. But that's like five people. Yeah. Right. So, so what happens? Well, right. if you break the law and I know that I know that Nate stole that apple from that stand and he ran away, 
that sheriff might come around and go, did anyone see you took that apple? And everyone says nothing. Goes, oh, so no one see you took that apple then? Oh, all right. <laughs> well, I'll have these coins right here that says someone saw something, and I'm trying to catch Nathan, and I'm tired of him stealing apples. Was it Nathan? And then one guy, <laughs> and one guy stands up and says, yeah, sure was. Give him the coin. Right? And then later on, Nate's behind the corner at the tavern pub, and that guy walks in. I owe you a pint. Why do you owe me a pint? Uh, the sheriff asked me if you took that point. I said, yeah, so this point's yours. It's off of his money. He paid me for it. You're like, why the hell did you rat me out? I didn't <laughs> rat you out. He was looking for you. He was. Someone was going to take the money. And that's that. Now, Nate goes, shit, what am I going to do? Well, Nate can actually run to the church. Right. He can actually run to the church, get in the threshold, and or touch the brass knob inside the church, whatever yeah, works. D- it depends. Yeah, there's home base. It's, right. uh, it's like the Highlanders. <laughs> A giant free tag, right? And then mm-hmm. Nate gets there and he's inside. Suddenly, it's the church's problem. Right? And then the right. church will be like, what happened? This man stole an apple. I, You must be mistaken. He he got that apple for me, and here's the payment for the apple. Be kind to hand that to the gentleman. Oh, thank you, Father, and hope you enjoyed your apple. Hand it to him. He goes, all well and done. The sheriff's like, I know. You didn't ask. You're like, ah, well, you know, I'm a good, pious guy. Yeah. He walks away. But then as the door shut, that priest turns around and goes, where's my cut? <laughs> Right? Like, no bullshit. It highlights the fact that a lot of crime happened in and around the doors of the church, and it shows the fact that it it changes building to building. It could change... It basically tells you the storyteller. Your your criminals are bands of people of different cultures and background that are not organized. Right. They're almost like thief gangs, is essentially what you would encounter. Yeah, and they make it pretty easy to understand. Like, basically, they state matter-of-factly. That organized crime requires an organized police force. This is not the time of an organized police force. Um, you know, e- exemplified case in point by the words Bob was just using. Um, you know, that that the church and the state, they do not act in unison. They don't act in concert. Um, sometimes they have overlapping motives. Oftentimes they don't. Sometimes they're corrupt. Sometimes they're not. So you're not going to have like uh you know the organized crime like the mafia. You're you may not even have like you know the traditional like guild of thieves that even that doesn't necessarily exist at this time. Um, just and and also in a lot of places, traditional wealth doesn't even exist. Coin. So it's hard to even have a traditional thief in that <laughs> regard. What what I enjoy about this book immensely is that I myself always wondered how no good nicks. We'd be getting along, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, in this society, and what would they be doing? You ever wonder about biting a coin? <laughs> right, right. You see that a lot in cartoons, movies, and uh, political cartoons as well. You right. see, like, well, why is he biting a coin? What does that make sense? Well, there was a way of minting back in the day, right? And if you had a fake coin, somebody would take a um, a, a lower valued coin or just just metal that's not valuable, and they would somehow take a bunch of them and find a valued coin like gold or what have you. And they would melt just enough gold to mm-hmm. coat these, the, the shitty coin or the shitty metal, right. but then still form them into, into discs to be, you know, coin and this fake coinage would be handed out right. or you're using it to buy things. And the common person's not checking it. Well, when word got out that the, it was so bad, let me put it this way. It was so bad. I like it. I forget which King did it, but they decided, Hey, all the money lenders is like, yeah, I want you to cut off their right hand, and I want you to cut off their balls. 
because I know they've been doing this. And I read that in a book and looked it up, and I was laughing. You want to talk about power? The king's piss. He was because the king was suspicious. He was certain they are screwing me. I know they are. Relundin money. That's not real coin. Pull it out. Bite it. Bite it hard. Is it? You're banging on the table. Why don't you rub it a little bit? Rub it a little bit. Is it fake? Is it fake? And maybe someone did find a fake coin. He goes, I'm just going to be in the safe side. Let's make a point. And I was, and I sat there and I read that and I read it again. And I was like, I, uh, I, I don't ever want to tend money. <laughs> right. It doesn't seem worth the, worth the effort. So the, uh, this first chapter goes on to tell us more about um, not only law um, in the mortal world, but how uh, it affects canines at this time. Um, and, you know, you can read through that at your leisure. Um, what it does here, like right in the middle, though, is it introduces us to um, the princes of thieves and evening among among the Prometheans. And so what what are the Prometheans, Bob? The Prometheans are basically the sore losers from Carthage. Um, they're the people who, who are saying that, you know what, we lost Carthage, but we're going to bring it back. And uh, we're going to start by using the lowest of the low. The street urchin, the the thieves, uh, those who can't, uh, war veterans, people who just don't get the wealth they were promised, they were left out. We're going to take all that angst and we're going to promise them a better way to overthrow these elders, to get rid of princes so we can we can have our way of life, our place where both canine and mortal coexist hand in hand. Yeah, and they go on to explain basically the Prometheans are... Um, like a, a micro sect among the damned. And um, they basically, uh, they are a band of, of, they say right here, visionaries and revolutionaries um, that have cropped up in the cities of the dark medieval world. They believe in a semi-utopian new Carthage. And it basically goes on to tell through um, some of these Carthaginians, or these Prometheans rather, um, individually their story and why they belong to this miniature sect of revolutionaries. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so as you go through, it kind of goes back to a narrative style of storytelling again, um, you know, putting you um, into the the scene, as it were, at this like dinner of Prometheans. Um, and then goes on to tell you the destiny of them. And, um, you know, I, I guess it's up to you to determine whether or not you find them compelling. You know, it's... Uh, that's kind of your duty as the the reader, I guess. Um, it was good. I, you know, I'd heard a lot about the Prometheans, and I think we've discussed them to a very small degree in previous podcasts. But um, to me, they're just another precursor to the Anarch movement. Um, just another kind of uh, uh, offshoot, uh, uh, you know, before the Anarchs emerge, before the Anarch movement comes to fruition. The the only the only stance I take to that to even just to be contrary or, or even devil's advocate is the fact mm-hmm. that what they're saying is a coexistence of mankind and vampires. That's the core of the Promethean. They're not saying anarchy. They're right. saying that the the way because you you can't exist with the current elders. The elders believe in uh, liege lord and lackey. Right. You know they believe in princes and then the lackeys that serve them. And they're like, well, that ain't gonna work because that's not coexistence. That's right. not getting along. That's that's tyranny. And, and where they don't want that, they're looking for this weird utopian. Now, why I only make that distinction is uh, because later on we're going to talk about another group that, that, I, that I feel fits that better, just well, in my and, opinion. And, and, and to further your point, um, they talk about um, the reason why I confuse them with Carthaginian is because they believe in this legend of a new Carthage, 
of a Carthage. You know, Carthage is supposedly where vampires and humans live together in unity, and we have to overthrow the old guard to instill the new. And so in that regard, you know, you're 100% correct, and overthrowing the elders seems to just be the small unifying code that they have with the other group, you know, the unifying thread, rather. Um, So moving on to to chapter two, um, they're they're talking a bit about um, the... I guess the geography of thievery, if you would. Um, yeah, there's a, the, I, I'm not really sure. There's just, the, again, it goes back into kind of like a fictional telling of like the different locations where thieves um, hunt for victims and um, how, how the, like sort of like a Robin Hood and his merry men band would operate. Um but it's it's again it's from the perspective of a character. It's not really giving you data so much as it is telling you a story from the perspective of a character. Like um, trying to give you an example, right? Right. right that's right. it's more or less what it's doing, and it, it's weird, right? Because when you when you get through that, it, then it jumps to storytelling for brigand characters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So so once you get to that point, you're like, oh, okay, you're giving us an example of the brigand, and that's 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 okay. All right, now I got it. So right. And and the Merry Men, you know, Robin Hood and the Merry Men type thing is exactly what they're talking about um, that you could do. And then they go through all that lovely stuff. But one of the things they do add in there is like, you know, the silence of the blood. Right. Like despite what they are, they're still going to uphold that yeah. because that's uh, it's to their advantage. Right. You don't want to pull the authority down on you for for basically not cleaning up your plate after eating to be cruel about it. Yeah. And that's the that's the effect. But they go through all of it. Right. Like the the solutions of them, how to get how sometimes they're sponsored to be brigands. For instance, a lord wants to devalue another lord's domain, and uh, that's you know for whatever reason that's that's politics, right? And uh, or a precursor war or an alternate, you can't afford an army to go after him, but you sure can't afford to have these brigands terrorize his area. Yeah, like an example would be um, having um, thieves on the road, and then when um, you know those coming to trade their wares or ply their trades um, when they're traveling, when merchants come through, they're being attacked by brigands on the road and it's happening so often that eventually those people just stop coming. Right. And it's, it's going to have an effect economically on, you know, a domain or a particular area or a different kingdom, et cetera. And it just kind of talks about stuff very similar to that. And then it moves on, right? It says, okay, we told you about brigands on land. What about brigands on the sea? Right. <laughs> right? You thought the brigands on land were cool. Let's talk pirates. What and about it gets, the water? Right. And it gets into, into piracy here. And that's uh, kind of interesting. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not, but I mean, you we get pirates, right? Ideally, if uh, you're a gamer worth your salt, you understand what pirates and ninjas are, but we're not talking about ninjas. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Pirates in here is like, well, what's the purpose of a medieval pirate? Well, I don't think it's changed. No, right? really, it, it hasn't. It's the same purpose as you've always been thinking of. It's guys who, guys, gals living on the ocean deciding they're going to live the outlaw life and they're going to take from other merchant vessels. Right. Right. Those right. are the, the ideal. Uh, it does give you an interesting description, uh, the difference between a pirate and a corsair and 
um, you know, basically one does it for themselves and the other one does it by writ of the king or, you know, for, you know, some other authority. Um, But even it goes into how sometimes even being on the same side as a profiteer doesn't uh, doesn't save you from being sacked and looted. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, sometimes they're like, well, we need supplies and there's a supply ship from our, our, our home. uh, uh, So let's just take from them and move on. Um, Goes on to describe um, a a middle Eastern uh, medieval band of rogues um, called the Banu uh, Susan. And what they are—that's S A S S A S A N, is it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Sorry about that. <laughs> the yeah, yeah. Banu Susan. Hey, she's special. Reading's hard. No. <laughs> I I personally think Banu Susan was a great telling of of cultures mingling in, in the here's, Bronx. Here's the thing: my brain edited that to Susan for I don't know, like forty five minutes because I read it over and over in here. <laughs> I read it again. I just looked at it, and it wasn't until you 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 pointed out that it was S-A-S-A-N, that my brain was like, so it is. <laughs> In fact, I was like, that's interesting. Susan, I wonder who that is. <laughs> Susan's important. She's one of yeah. the rogues of Araby. You know what I mean? That's that's what she yeah. does. Well, now they describe uh, um, Sasan uh, uh, in here, and I was like, oh, Susan, that's a weird name for a fella. All right. <laughs> Well, you could tell you what you could you know he's a badass because any boy named Sue, as the song says, yeah, right? absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's why it didn't seem weird to me. I was like, oh, clearly that's where Johnny Cash got it from. I'm smart, <laughs> but uh, yeah, finishes up there um, with uh, a pretty decent amount of information. Um, you know, the lexicon of Saracen thievery, um, a fun chunk of of information and data I didn't know of before, and then we move on to chapter three. The Flames of the Führers, or Furores, or something like that. Or as I lovingly call them, the vampires who are pissed that don't want to bother with government. They just want to fight. <laughs> right. That's all this is. This is a, every elder's nightmare. We made these children, and what are they doing? And if you didn't know, they're putting on weird masks that make them look monstrous, and they're running around burning buildings at night so that the mortals can burn them by day. Yeah. That's, that's literally their goal, yeah. is to whip up... Yeah, uh, revolutions and just terrorize areas. Yeah, um, basically, there. I mean, there's a ton of information in here about the Führers and um, their motives, and their their motives basically just come down to fomenting revolution um, wherever they go, without any real thought to how to rule afterwards. Like that is an afterthought. And in fact, it's an afterthought to such a great degree that oftentimes when a revolution is successful, um, the, the Führers that take over aren't equipped to lead and revolutions happen again, thus further weakening um, the rule in the area. And appropriately, it's in this book, The Ashen Thief, because those are the people that profit when you do that. When right. you have chaos and everyone's taking down the establishment and ruining them, like everyone talks about the French Revolution. Nobody talks about the estates being sacked and the wealth being taken and who got that and where it went. Right. Right? That's an interesting point. So you were mad you weren't the ruling class and you let them eat cake and all that fun stuff. And now you're lining them up to chop off heads and enterprising groups behind your back, taking everything that's worth and going and quickly getting that settled and squared away to get their wealth from it to make it worth their time. But now they're wealthy but they're not going to be a tyrant over anybody. They're just not going to share it. 
Right. Right. That that's but that's what the Fuhrers are doing. They're running around saying, you know what? This place looks good. Was it London? Yeah. Burn it down. Right. Burn it down. Why? Freedom. You want right. to work tomorrow? No, I don't want to work. Me neither. Who wants freedom? We all want freedom. Who's tired of no wages? Yeah, we're tired of no wages. Who's tired of being whipped? We're tired of being whipped. Overtime, everybody. We never get overtime. All right, let's take them down. Someone else needs to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody's doing it. You walking around going, yeah, take that chair. Mm-hmm. Don't forget the gold jewelry. You know, yeah. all that nonsense. And that's and that's where it goes into. And when you read that, I sit here and I go back to Bob's opinion of the Anarchs. <laughs> okay. We just recycle back. You want to throw shit at the elders and, and talk about how, oh man, the elders are tyrants. Look at the terrible stuff they do. These blah, 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 blah. Actually, the elders gave you stability and they had a way of ruling that did benefit them. It did. Right. Not saying they were angels. Far from it. But when you have a crowd of like 20 coming in, kicking in, like think about it. 20 vampires are 20 vampire mouths to feed. Before it was one and his weird kink. And whatever he was doing to some poor people, man, sucks to be them, and it does. There's got to be a way to change from within, though, right? And that's what you should be looking at. But that's not what they looked at. They're, they flip it around and just say, burn it all. Screw them, right. and now we're going to be in charge. Now there's 20 whatever revolutionary council anarch vampires in this land ripping it up, all doing what they want to do. Where does that end, right? right that, that's right. just a cycle of chaos. Well, and, and that's the thing they kind of hammer home here, that it really, it doesn't end um, at all because it's a cycle that's self-perpetuating. Um, as those that overthrew the old guard come in to take over, and eventually uh, having power, it creates a scenario where you want to maintain that power. And you maintain that power by being oppressive, by limiting access to resources by doing all the things that we know and love uh, based on our levels of experience throughout history. And they do detail a lot of that in here as well. Um, So I think that's a really good thing. um, A really good inclusion in this book about this sort of cycle and, and, and also how canites in the dark ages don't have the same concept of what freedom even means. Um, yes. That we do, that we do. You know, we have a very, we have the luxury of coming from a westernized society. So we have access to education and access to different ideals and philosophies and, and forms of government. They don't have that. So their conception of freedom is completely different than ours is. And, and one of the things I, I enjoy too here is that as they hammer that home and you're talking about freedom, you're, the concept of this book kind of gels together when you get to the fjords, right? At least the Führer, excuse me. They, uh, Führer always reminds me of Nazi Germany. I just that's why I keep like. Eh, I, I always no. think of it like this: I'm I'm whipping up a Führer. I'm not I'm You're... not whipping a I'm not whipping a Führer. You know I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> always does that, but it's it's cool because when you now think of the sorry I, I forgot my point, but more or less this book <laughs> comes together uh, when you talk about the underworld and the view of how you can operate and thrive in it in a medieval society. And I truly believe this is a smart book to make because it's hard for players to like, like Nate, it would be, it'd be incredibly hard for me to explain to you as a storyteller. You're not a fan of history, right? Right. And that's not even true. You're not a fan of glossing over history, like history class. Interesting right. points are fine. You can reference research fine enough, but like to talk about it, to talk about it, not your yeah. thing. It's not even, it's not even so much that I'm not a fan of history. It's that it's very difficult for me to run a game in an era where I don't have a personal frame of reference. It's easy for me to create stories off the cuff in a world that is similar to my own. 
You know what I mean? So not coming from a, the world of darkness in the dark medieval times, that can be a lot more difficult for me to off the cuff tell a story in. So having access to materials like this that um, sort of summarizes and um, represents uh, a more compact version of actual history makes it a lot easier for me to go, okay, this is how I could tell this type of story in this time. Books like this are made for players and storytellers like me who don't have the time to go and Google, get lost in Google for 12 hours trying to find every minute detail. But then there's people like me, right? Let me tell you why <laughs> I'm I'm good at it. It's because I've been to medieval times, right? <laughs> dinner, dinner and tournament, right? I know what it is. I know did, for a fact what it's like to hold up a sign and be like, you know, more wine, did more you, wine, and they refill you, uh, my Pepsi. Did, I was going to say, did you um, did you get Pepsi or did you get uh, Mountain Dew or did you go Red Night, Blue Night? How did you go? I, I live a little. I, I switch it up on them. They come over and say, did you want the Pepsi? No, I wanted the Dew this time. I'll try the Dew this time. That's sweet. And I'll switch it. And then like maybe I'll have a glass and a half of that comic. Like, switch it. I want lemonade and iced tea mixed. Away with you. And Give they, me my, my turkey leg, you swine. They gave me a turkey leg and no silverware. And I made them get me a fork, right? I mean, they like, sir, a forks were not um, accurate to the period. And, and, and I was like, away with you. Away. Invent, invent me a fork. I am a fan of the Black Knight. I support him. You will get my fork. We, <laughs> we live on being counterculture to you. No, that's, I've been there and then going to somewhere like a, a Ren Fair, a Renaissance Fair, whatever it is. There's a couple places I went to where, believe it or not, those people do have a profound passion for it. Yeah. And I'm telling you a cheat. If you can avoid the BS that's there and just focus on what they're trying to portray, you're good to go. And I'm yeah. polite when I say that BS. I won't get into it. Just, just sidestep it. And then they're, they're great with bustiers. They're great with period clothing, armament, all that stuff. They're pretty good with it. And so well, it kind of brings to life what you're trying to imagine. And I, I think that um, one of the main uh, setbacks I've had when trying to run or play Dark Ages is that um, medieval fantasy has never really been my bag. And I think a lot of people really enjoy Dark Ages because of like that Renfair culture of medieval fantasy. Medieval, if you're into medieval fantasy, it's easy to get into Dark Ages, right? You just add vampires and you have Dark Ages vampire. But if you're not into medieval fantasy, it can be a lot more difficult to be um, in character, to be present in the moment, and also to tell stories from there. So books like this that give you a great amount of detail can be a major, major boon to you as a player, as a storyteller. So in that regard, uh, I liked the book. However, uh, I would like you to, you know, if you have anything else you'd like to add before I get into some of the things I don't like about this book. Well, I want to add that too, that I, I do enjoy this book. I think it's uh, fine for what it is. Is it the most exciting book to, that I own for Dark Ages? No, it's not. Um, I'm going to say that up front. If you have a good, healthy idea of what thieves were like back in the day and, you know, whatnot... You're good without this book. I'm, I'm going to state that. You're, you're already decent. You would need it if you need to know about the Prometheans and if you've never heard of the Fiores. That's, there's, they're both good. For the record, I've never read this book until we reviewed it. Right? Yeah. I, I remember opening it thinking I was going to get like the Road of uh, the Ashen Knight. Like I'd get something like that. It's far cry from it. Right? This is right. more literal. You know, more more valid, literal type stuff. Not that Ashen Knight wasn't. You get the idea. I just found Ashen Knight more entertaining because I'm more into knights. Than I am into necessarily thieves, and that's the that's a personal thing. However, I turn it over to you, Nate. 
Uh, so some things that I had an issue with. Um, as I read through this book, uh, I definitely got the impression that this book was uh, a rush job. Um, I definitely got the impression that there were some key pieces of information that they wanted to put out that maybe didn't fit into other books, and they were sort of crammed in here um, because it's it is about thievery. It's about thievery in the dark ages, but the inclusion of some of the other things in here just don't really make a lot of sense to me in the context of why they're here. Um, it seems overly overly bloated with like a narrative story. Um, a lot of times we like a little bit of, of fluff, um, to give us an idea of the world, but this just seemed like they probably had a 60 page book and they were like, damn it. How do we make this a 90 page book? Let's just have a bunch of people write fluff. The other reason why I feel like it was rushed is because of the artwork. The artwork is a major source of criticism for me. Um, because while the art is, is good, I just don't think it's good for a Vampire the Masquerade book. Um, you'll notice in the early pages, um, there are some uh, there's some artwork that look like comic panels. And you'll find these throughout the book. Um, a good example is page 24. There's like a smirking um, knight and then like somebody like a boy that's angry and then a decapitator. And none of these pictures to me look very consistent with the style and theme of Vampire the Masquerade. Um, and you'll see those throughout. Um, another good example is page 47. Page 47 has like um, what appears to be like an inn and a bunch of like uh, harlots and and just like fat men drinking ale. And it looks very cartoony. I would go so far as to say um, it's it's even more like cartoony than like a D&D artwork. Uh, now here's the, here's the thing. Having people who are who are large large drawing of whatever, um, that's that's not the problem. The problem is is that it's uncharacteristically so, right? Yeah. We're talking in a period when people were, were starving, like right. famine was a thing. These, these look like well fed, well fed um, individuals who had no problem being there. And I was like, hmm, that's that's cool. However, this doesn't make me think vampire, especially when you, when you consider up above in the rafter is supposed to be like I guess a canine. Right. Who's looking down below, <laughs> like who is also just as thick. And why this bothers me, when we do artwork, it's supposed like when when we do artwork, when y'all do artwork, it's supposed to speak a thousand words, right? I should I should see it and get a lot of idea and it should click and fit together. That's right. just my opinion. I don't get that. No. It, right? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they were going for. I, I've always felt that um a major uh piece of importance to these vampire of the masquerade books, to the, all the white wolf books, period is artwork that speaks where it, it basically visually represents what the words are trying to emphasize. And to me, this emphasizes like, you know, fantasy role play, like, Oh, you know, we went to the tavern and there were some, you know, big breasted uh, uh, waitresses and, and there's a, like a sneak thief up in the rafters waiting for somebody to drop their coin purse. That's great for that game. That's not this game. And to me, it takes me out of the immersion of, of the game. Um, but it doesn't really stop there. It continues, um, later on in the book, um, this artwork continues. There's some characters that are, um, in towards the back of the book, um, that are like, uh, leaders. Um, one of the, one of the biggest examples I found was like on page 82, Carl, the blue, 
that picture and the picture to the left of it and the picture to the right of it on the next page, those look like they're straight out of like a 1980s cartoon about like D&D. They do not look like Dark Ages vampires. In fact, none of the characters they're presented even look remotely vampiric. They just look like cartoon people. And to me, that doesn't really say vampire. But wait, the worst examples in this book are the the uh, the appendix characters um, that are are sort of made in the style? Um, I think the worst is the Fuhrer fiend. That doesn't even look like a vampire at all. Um, and then the highwayman on the next page has the sword of omens. Like it looks like a He Man character. And it's on the back of the book too. It doesn't even remotely look like a vampire. So. So what we heard, we heard just, just to clarify here, I feel I got to douse this a little bit. Um, Nate is a super nerd when it comes to art and, uh, likes it has, it has to fit what it is. Um, I myself don't feel as passionate, but will say that it is, it it does brave. I see your point. Immersion is broken. Uh, when, when you look at this stuff, because when you look at this template and it says, um, the Fiore fiend, Fiore fiend, and like the line that says you were apprenticed to a noted cold dune. Yet, look at what you drew. Right. Right. Look at what that is. And if you know what a cold dune is, and you know what's going on, and how that, how that culture would be, and all that jazz, then you don't envision this creature. No. Right? Uh, the, the other problem is, like, it's a character that has one level of vicissitude, yet it has a tail. And it has a hand that is half the size of its torso. And to me, that doesn't scream, um, you know, uh, apprentice to a cold dune. Well, there's a theme, right? We all have heard the term fish milk. And we know about, you know, Malkavians <laughs> and fish milks. Well, there yeah. is a th- is a trope for the Zemis. Yeah. And it's it's where is the line where body right. horror stops being tasteful? Right? It's not it's not tasteful to begin with, but there should be a level of of de- deformation, would that be the term? Your excuse me, Zemisi evolution, it gets weirder and weirder. Maybe it should be commensurate with practice and age. And right. when you look at a template and it's supposed to be a neonate, they're already at stage 10. Right, it's right. it's one of those things where it's like I don't hmm, I don't know what we're going for right especially when you read the Fury the Fury is supposed to oppose these elders these people who have gone this far that have that right. have you know just to do it right that's what we learned but what does it say and so that's that's what I'm tying to here I'm backing you up by saying that you know the the art choice is uh, avant garde yeah it's a uh, it seems to me a little rushed the book seems a bit disorganized and. Um, I'm very critical, obviously, of the artwork that was added, not of the artists or of their artwork, but just that it is in this book. It doesn't fit in this book. Um, but that been that having been said, uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, oh, I, I regret buying it because there was a lot of good information in here. Um, it just it's not a great book. It's not it's not a top 10 run out and buy it type of book. I would say definitely. You know, if it's if you can find it inexpensive, pick it up. But otherwise, you can probably save yourself some money and do some research online. That's my opinion of it. No, it's very true. It's also short, right? It's only what about ninety five pages? Yeah, uh, I think uh, actually less than that, maybe ninety. Yeah, ninety five pages. So and that's that's another reason why I think it was maybe a rush job. It's short and sweet. Not a whole lot you can you can get into it uh, beyond that. Um, it's in the interest of our fans that we're not digging deep. Literally, I told Nate I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid uh, discussing the history of it. That part's really good. I would read it for that. It opens your eyes to that whole thing in immersion. But like uh, to be 
to be fair, someone asked us to just get to the book and <laughs> we're sticking general, letting you know what's in the book. And that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, that having been said, um, you know, we encourage you of course, to get out and read these books and, you know, formulate your opinion on your own. And if you have an opinion that differs from ours, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear why, you know, you might have a different perspective. Next week, we will be back with a review of Vampire the Dark Ages, Wind from the East. Hopefully this particular book will be consistent with what we thought the last book we reviewed was going to be. I guess we'll find out. I can guarantee it. I have, <laughs> I have seen that book. I have read it, forced to read it. I don't think forced to read is a good term. Um, people, if you have a love of Mongols, right, and what that would be in the Dark Ages, that's that's it's a book that we're going to get into. Look for that. We'll be more in-depth, and we could be more descriptive because there's more material to go over. So that'll yeah, be definitely. the good thing. Uh, after that, we have uh, House of Tremere coming our way uh, to round out this month's reviews. Uh, we are going to continue to put stuff out during our break in December. Most likely it's going to be our Teach Me podcast. So uh, if you're looking for something a little bit more educational or something that you haven't heard before, keep a lookout for that. Um, and then, of course, we'll get back to, you know, regular schedule in uh, in January, January. <laughs> in that other month. Um, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. So, again, thank you guys for listening. If you have any comments that you'd love to leave, if you have any games that you'd love to promote, if you have a LARP game, if you have a tabletop game, Send us a message on Discord, on Facebook. You can reach out to me on Twitter, and we will promote your local game. We love LARPs. We want to see the hobby grow. We love tabletop games. So if you're looking for players, you know, at your local game store, maybe we can reach out to people where you can't necessarily reach them. Let us know. Otherwise, until next week, I am Nate. And I am Bob. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of, email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate.